Our next scripture reading this morning is, uh, continues in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be the last, and the last first. Thanks, Phyllis. You think you meant it? You think Jesus meant what he said? The whole give away everything? <laughs> give away everything you have? Sell it so that uh, you can give the money to the poor? That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, a few details. So this young man here, he's described as being earnest as he comes to Jesus in his request. You know, he's grown up doing his best to follow all the rules, do anything he can to please God. He's an upstanding guy, seemingly a good sense of morality and solid work ethic, probably why he's done so well for himself at this time. And he's coming to Jesus just wanting to know, is there anything I'm missing? Seems like I've done all the things, right? Is there anything else I need to do to secure my place with God? He's maybe looking for a pat on the back or a good, well done, good and faithful servant here. But instead, Jesus comes with this bombshell, right? Sell everything you've earned over the years, give it to the poor, come, follow me. Do we really have to give up everything in order to have eternal life? I thought eternal life was a free gift from God, right? Seems like the opposite, <laughs> to have to give up everything. Well, uh, what we know from the text is that when Jesus talks about giving away everything to follow him, the disciples took him literally. Jesus didn't correct them or give any indication they ought 
to believe otherwise. In fact, they'd already done just that to follow Jesus. They did so because of his example. Jesus isn't asking this man to do anything that he and his disciples haven't already done themselves. Jesus and the disciples lived a life of itinerant ministry and simplicity, voluntary poverty, uh, relying on the hospitality of others. So on the face of it, it seems like Jesus meant what he said. Seems like the answer is yes. Now, before you get too uncomfortable, uh, I, I will say there are some reasons that might give us some pause, other than just not wanting to do it, right? There are some reasons that give us some pause here. First, uh, to me, when I think about, well, how would you actually live that out, it seems to me like this is impossible to take 100% literally. I mean, once you have sold everything, are you allowed to ever have anything again? Like, how long until something has come into your possession do you then have to sell it again and give away uh, things to the poor? How, what's, the, what's the timeline there, right? But also, this wasn't true for 100% of Jesus' followers, even at the time, right? The group as a whole was able to do what they did, to do this itinerant ministry, because there were others who had the means to host them and their families. Because... Uh, there were some who generously su supplied them with what they needed to survive. There were even some women who traveled among them. It's expressly noted um, as providing financial support for them. And also, we might point to the contextual nature of this. You know, not just uh, this man, not just that he might have had a particular issue with wealth, and so Jesus is kind of pointing that out, uh, but also that to follow Jesus in that season of his ministry specifically meant following him in itinerant ministry, following him when they had um, basically nothing. To physically join him in that way meant that they needed to give up everything they had to follow him in that way. That's not necessarily true of every follower today. But, let's still not dismiss this uh, too quickly, because Jesus also gives a similar command to all disciples in Luke chapter 12. Uh, verse 33, he says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Here he's talking to his disciples and, and the a whole crowd, not just to one specific person. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. So this teaching that he's given in Luke 12, it's a lot less specific to a certain person or to a certain time. It's a direct application of his teachings of things like, don't worry, build up for yourself treasure in heaven. So again, in general, it kind of seems like Jesus is meaning it when he's telling us to give things up. This is a difficult teaching, right? As we wrestle with this this morning, uh, here's what I would like to suggest as some application. An obvious application, I think, is to cling to Jesus and nothing else. To cling to Jesus and nothing else. If your money or possessions are hindering you because you're too busy being worried about your stuff that you can't follow Jesus where he's telling you to go, there might be something wrong. If you don't feel like you can go to certain places or talk to certain people to share the gospel because you're concerned about getting pickpocketed or having something damaged or stolen, maybe your priorities are out of order. We had this as a, a very practical teaching whenever I did some uh, ministry with YWAM, uh, Youth with a Mission in Las Vegas. We'd go out um, on the, the streets and just try to get in conversation with people. And our leaders would often tell us, if you have anything valuable, leave it behind because 
Otherwise, you're going to be like constantly worried. Is someone going to pickpocket me? Or like, what's going to happen here? And so when Jesus sends out the, tw- the 12 and the 72, two by two, he tells them, don't bring your money bag. Don't bring your staff or any of these other things. In a very practical way so that we are not burdened by our worry about our stuff. If your money and your stuff is hindering rather than helping your ability to follow Jesus, maybe it's time to reevaluate some of your decisions. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've said myself and heard other people maybe say similar things of like, oh, you know, if I just had such and such, then, then I would really be able to make a difference for God's kingdom, right? If I only had a bigger home for hosting, if I only could travel with ease, what if we didn't have to worry about bills? Think of what we could do. When I was thinking about it, even on the drive here this morning, I realized how strange it is that Jesus doesn't look at this man and say, take all that wealth and follow me. They could have really benefited from someone who had a lot of money, right? Maybe they wouldn't have had to uh, spend so many nights sleeping out in tents or, or on rocks and things. They wouldn't have had to rely on so many other people. They could have bought some hotels themselves. And if they had a wealthy benefactor as a part of their group, right? Uh, but Jesus doesn't say that to him. Jesus doesn't seem to think that this man's wealth will be a benefit to their ministry here. He suggests it might be a hindrance to them. Jesus' challenge to get rid of all that we have, it, it isn't really even about the impact of serving the poor. It's about liberating us from what we think that we need in order to follow him. Liberating us from what we think we need in order to follow him. I'd say in general, we, maybe I, maybe I'm just speaking to myself here, are a good deal too eager to absolve ourselves from the responsibility, the challenge that Jesus is giving in this passage. I think it's worth asking why. The grace that Jesus offers us to restore our relationship with God is free. But following Jesus costs us everything. Not in the sense that we can give any amount of works or actions or possessions in order to earn salvation, earn eternal life. It costs us everything because Jesus wants our whole hearts, every part of us. The injunction for this young man to sell everything, it was a necessary step in order for him to be able to follow Jesus with all that he had, all that he was. That's it. That's important because it helps us with this next step of realizing that there is no salvation apart from following Jesus. There isn't any salvation apart from following Jesus. Being saved in Christ can often get watered down to this kind of anemic sort of verbal assent and belief that Jesus did all the work for us. We feel bad for being sinners, so we say thanks, we're sorry, and we just wait until either we die or Jesus comes back so we can spend eternity in paradise instead of the Bernie place. right? But being saved isn't just about avoiding hell. Being saved is about being restored into what God made us to be in the first place. Being restored into relationship with Him. Jesus is teaching that salvation and inheritance of eternal life, it can't be separated from the call call to follow Him, to be with Him. If we're being saved into life with God, that can't come without being with God. In following Jesus, we begin the path to restored life. 
It's funny that the disciples, particularly Peter, think they've got it figured out after this. Peter's like, we did that, right? We gave up everything. We, we followed you. And, and Jesus gives him a mostly assuring answer after that, right? But he tags on this little challenge. Let me read this again for us. He says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But then he says, but many who are first will be last. The last. You know, in the chapter before this, Jesus had already chided them when they'd been arguing about who would be the greatest among them. And immediately, uh, after this passage that we read today, in verse 35, James and John approach him and trying to, to sweet-talk him to give uh, special places at the, the right and the left hand when he fully sets up his shop in his kingdom. So for the rich man, the issue was wealth. For the disciples, the issue seemed to be status and power. And we'll see soon that when, in, uh, when that is challenged for them, they will all abandon Jesus on his journey to the cross. Just as the wealthy man walked away sad, they're going to have their own instance of walking away quite disappointed. We all have competing allegiances. What are yours? Or mine? What are the things that, when push comes to shove, it's really hard for us to know, will I choose this or Jesus? This is, side note, the part of the gospel message we don't always get across when sharing the good news with others. Is in our effort to invite others into God's family, into the kingdom, to kind of get them across the finish line, we sometimes rush, rush the good news to try to make it seem as good as possible and leave out the hard, challenging part. And that's difficult because then when someone does come into the family of God, does say, I believe and I, and I want to follow Jesus, and then they start discovering, oh, this actually costs something of me, they feel hoodwinked. They feel like the rug has been pulled out from under them, right? They might become disillusioned by the whole thing. But Jesus never rushed anyone into following him. More often than not, we see him intentionally challenging folks to count the cost. He wanted them to understand that following him would mean life and life to the full, but it would also mean giving up the false comforts they'd come to hold so dear. And so whether you're sharing your faith with someone else or if you're at the point yourself where you're ready to make the commitment with Jesus, maybe if you haven't before, I do think there's three questions that are important for us to ask. I'll, I'll share them here. One, do you recognize Jesus as Lord? That the very character of God is in flesh in Jesus, offering grace and restored relationship once, that was once fractured by our sin. Two, do you admit and confess that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, that you, that you have need of Jesus? Three, are you willing to commit to follow Jesus, no matter what that might mean or require of you? These are three very important questions. Because if the answer isn't a definitive yes to these questions, we may not be ready to submit our lives to Jesus. Right? Jesus is Lord whether we recognize it or not. But if we don't believe in the hope of his lordship, then there's no point to any of it. We are 
all prone to sin, whether we accept that or not about ourselves. But until we admit and confess it, we won't be free of the power that sin holds over our life. And if there's any part of us that isn't willing to surrender to Jesus' guidance, then we won't be able to enter fully into the wonderful life of joy and salvation that awaits. Will we surrender today? Will we leave saddened like the rich young man here? Will we surrender fully? Will we abandon Jesus when it matters most? There is no salvation apart from following Jesus. And following Jesus means embracing him for who he truly is, not for who we want him to be. To understand Jesus, we must understand the cross. At the end of our text today, Mark recounts Jesus predicting his death for the third and last time on his journey to Jerusalem. We read that earlier in our, our service this morning. There's an interesting pattern that emerges in Jesus' uh, three predictions here on the cross uh, as we have read them over the last few weeks, really. In uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 33, we saw Jesus in his conversation with the disciples about what it meant that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed king who would bring deliverance to Israel in their oppression. This is immediately followed by Jesus telling the disciples in plain speech for the first time that he would be rejected by the religious leaders and killed, uh, and after three days, rise again. Peter was having none of that, tried to take him aside and rebuke him, uh, and then Peter gives him the what's for afterwards and says, Get behind me, Satan. You don't understand. In Mark chapter 9, 14 through 29, we read about Jesus' miraculous healing uh, and the exorcism of this impure spirit. Rudy shared with us this last week. This boy who was suffering from violent convulsions and an inability to hear or talk because of this impure demonic spirit. This is followed immediately by Jesus again telling the disciples he'd be handed over, he'd be put to death, and would rise again. We see king and healer as expectations. And today, in, uh, in our, our passage 10, verses 17 through 31, Jesus advises this wealthy young man as a moral teacher. And the encounter is immediately again followed with this most detailed account yet, saying that he will be delivered over to the chief priests, the scribes, condemned to death at the hands of the Gentiles, to be mocked and spit upon, flogged and ultimately killed but that three days later he would rise again. What I'd like to suggest to you is that these aren't just three random circumstances which Jesus decided to let his disciples know the plan ahead, but he's revealing something about his character and his identity and some of the expectations that were had of Jesus in these categories. We were looking for a king, for a healer, for a teacher. And Jesus is the fulfillment of all those hopes. But Jesus' identity in these roles can only be fully understood and brought into focus when viewed in light of the cross and the resurrection. That Jesus is not just king, but he's a loving king, the good shepherd who so tenderly and faithfully loves his people that he would die for us, that we might live. Jesus is not just healer, but the wounded healer who empathizes with us in our grief, understands our pain, and yet wields the power of God that the grave cannot contain. Jesus is the wise counselor 
who has traveled the depths of brokenness to emerge wiser on the other side, who never leads us on a path that he's not willing to go down first himself. I don't know where you're at today, but maybe you're like this young man asking, what do I need to do to please you, Lord? What do I need to do? Maybe you're like Peter asking, haven't I already done all that you've asked? I wonder this morning if we might be vulnerable enough to listen for an answer, no matter how challenging it might be. To ask Jesus to lay bare your heart, to expose those parts of your life that we might have been withholding from him. And my prayer for us is that God might give us the courage to surrender in joy rather than to walk away sad. Thanks again for listening today to Sermons at Smoky Row Brethren Church. If you enjoyed this message, would you consider leaving a rating or review or share a link to it on your social media page? All of those things can help to spread the reach of this podcast and make this resource accessible to more people for their spiritual growth. Or if you believe in the mission and the work of our congregation and want to support what we're doing, you can give online at smokyrow.org give. Link available in the show notes. All of our ministry work is funded by the generosity of people like you. Until the next time, may the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may lead you. And the peace and the power of his Holy Spirit. See you soon.